who said we're in charge anyway? But I want to be in charge. (laughs) (laughs) Hi, I'm Alex Fuxer. And I'm Rifki Silver. And this is Normal Firm Woman. The podcast where we embrace the complexities, nuances, and joys of firm womanhood. Normal Firm Woman is supported by Master My Space, a luxury home professional organizing company based in Cleveland, specializing in creating organizational systems that are beautiful, functional, easy to maintain, and most importantly, aligns with the different organizing personalities in your home. It's working with the way you naturally function, not fighting it. Want to find out your organizing personality and how to take advantage so it works for you? Then contact Adina at mastermyspace.com to schedule a session. Visit mastermyspace.com for more info and follow mastermyspace on Instagram too. Hi everyone. Welcome back. Today we are going to be talking about a big topic and one which I, I think will apply to a lot of people, even if we may not be so comfortable admitting it. We know that each one of us, we all have, you know, complicated lives filled with a variety of challenges, in, you know, as well as many blessings, of course. And since we live in communities where we, are, we interact so much with each other, we are often very aware of what's going on in our neighbor's lives. Even if we're not like Yentish, we still at least know what's going on. And we may fall into the trap, the very normal trap of comparing how our life is going, you know, compared to someone else's. Yeah. And not only that, Rifki, we may look at our own life with a different type of critical eye. What I mean by that is, have you ever like woken up and been like, how did this happen? How did I land here? Like, how is it that I have a child who's struggling with this problem and a spouse who's struggling with that problem and me struggling with another problem? Is this how I envision life to be? And what about that dream I had back in the day to do whatever it is? Where did it go? Well, you know, we asked the teenagers last week how they would envision their lives five years from now. And of course, we're quietly chuckling because we know about 25 years ahead of them that life does not always follow the dreams. (laughs) Quite an understatement. And honestly, we're not trying to sound naive here. We know that life doesn't turn out how we plan or dream it to be. And honestly, it's obviously not meant to. But at the same time, we're also not trying to be cynical. Because often, if we do look at our lives, we will see how we've achieved certain goals from those very dreams that we used to have. Mm -hmm. And I I think of it in the way of like a a painting that may reflect the general vision we had for our life, just it might be in different colors and tones. Yeah, I love that analogy. And there might also be some like unexpected fruits in the fruit bowl too. (laughs) (laughs) So um, if you remember, we asked everyone in our takeaway last episode to think about if life turned out the way you dreamed it would as a teenager and what you would tell your teenage self about your future. We were really thinking ahead to today's episode when we said that. So here we are. You're an adult and this is your life there are going to be the inevitable disappointments and dissatisfactions. That's just normal. But now what? How can we really be content with the life that we have? That is the question. And you can't be content if you're looking over your neighbor's fence Mm -hmm. or dwelling about your failures or the failures of your family members or reminding yourself of all the areas of your life that haven't gone according to plan. So today we're going to be talking about some ideas we've learned along the way that help manage the detours in the road called life. We're also going to share with you the conversation we had with author and fellow Mishpacha Magazine contributor Esther Kurtz about the idea of Jewish privilege and how that fits into the equation. 
It's a fascinating idea, and I think you're going to enjoy our conversation with her. By the end of today's episode, we hope you walk away feeling inspired to better appreciate the life you lead, warts and all, and to feel more empowered to deal with any interfering thoughts of comparison and adequacy and disappointment that can really rob the joy out of life. Risky, this topic is really a great one for a montage. So here we go. We ask for normal from women. What's something in your life that turned out differently than you expected? And here's how they responded. I'm a Valchuba, and while I was becoming from, I never felt the need to change my name from my English name to my Hebrew name. I was comfortable with my English name. I had met lots of people that had been changing their name, but I liked it. I was happy. Wasn't going to change it. <laughs> After we got married, we moved to a pretty um, yeshivish community, and I had realized that I was the only one that had an English name. It could be that other people were Bali Chuva and had changed their names, but I met them with a Hebrew name, so I really wanted to fit in. So even though I never thought I would go change my name to my Hebrew name, I ended up doing it, and I'm happy I did. It was different at first, but now looking now, I can't even imagine introducing myself as my English name. So I did it. When I meet someone new in Cleveland, I usually get one of two reactions. Either they assume that I'm from Cleveland and been here my whole life, or they think that I'm new here. So they're usually pretty shocked to find out that I've been here for about 20 years. I'm originally from Toronto, but I boarded here for high school and graduated from Yavna. I always told my friends during my high school years that I will never step foot back into Cleveland after the day I graduate. Like Cleveland's not for me, I'm here for school, and that's about it. After high school, I went off to Israel, came back after my first year, and what was the first thing I did was get onto a bus and come visit my friends. I ended up meeting my husband that summer, and as fate has it, we settled down in Cleveland. Seeing the faces of on my teachers when they would bump into me that first and second year of marriage, they were shocked. Their, their, their jaws almost hit the ground. I, and I remember clearly bumping into this one teacher on the street, and she's like, Yohaved Robinson, which is my maiden name, what are you doing in Cleveland? You said you were never going to come back. And... I, I, I don't remember what my answer was, but thinking about that memory right now puts a huge smile on my face because she's right. I, that's exactly what I said in high school. I will never come back to Cleveland, but you never know what's going to happen. We never know what's going to change. We can sit here and plan all day long and say, this is how I'm going to be. This is how I'm going to raise my kids. This is how, this is the kind of man I'm going to marry, or this is the kind of mother I'm going to be. But at the end, It's really up to Hashem what ends up happening, and we just need to go along for the ride. When I was becoming from, I envisioned a future where I would have to scale back my career ambitions and the professional dreams that I had for myself. I didn't see how all of that could fit with the from lifestyle and the large family that I wanted. And it was really hard for me in those early years to think that that was what my entire future was. But surprisingly, Um, because of my amazing husband and supportive family, I've been able to pursue my professional dreams, uh, many of them which have taken time and 
and effort and also found that my expertise and my abilities are valued by the community when they're needed. So it's been a huge surprise to me to see that you can do anything that you want to do and still be true to Torah and mitzvot in a firm lifestyle. And I share that all the time with my kids so they know it's possible. Hi, I was born, raised, and grew up in the beautiful ultra-Orthodox section of Williamsburg in Brooklyn, New York. At age 19, I met my husband. We married at age 19, like many people do in that area, and we married it to raise a beautiful family of eight children. Um, at a certain age, my oldest child, and then later some more, ended up taking different paths in life. They became non-observant. Um, At that point, we realized that Williamsburg was not the place that was comfortable enough to accommodate my children and my family's needs. And we relocated to a different area where our children and our family was able to thrive as one unit. Uh, All I can say is that when Hashem pushes you to the edge, it is an opportunity to fly with it. And when you do, that is very expansive. Yeah, so clearly we all have areas in our life that turn out differently than we expected. Mm -hmm. Uh, Just in case anyone's thinking they're the only one. And Rifki, I really want to hear from you how you would respond. Also, I want to ask you the question we asked the teenagers. What would you go back and tell your teenage self about the future you, specifically in regards to this area of life that turned out differently for you? Oh, boy. So, like, I don't think teenage me could have possibly envisioned the life that I'm leading now. But I'm going to go back to, like, when I was in seminary. Not really teenage years, but kind of ish. uh, A time of, like, high idealism and dreaming about the future. So I thought for sure that I was going to be, like, living in Israel, for sure. Um, I thought that, in general, my life would be a little um, a little bit more sheltered than it turned out to be. I thought basically I would like basically be a little bit more yeshivish than I actually am. The thing that I would tell myself is to just be a little bit more flexible and to not be so judgmental if anyone is like a, like an iota different love, like hishkafic level than, you know, than um, I thought was like the only way to do it. You know what I mean? Because I was like laughing. I was telling my husband once, I was like, you know, it's so funny because me, you know, 15 years ago would have totally been judgmental of me now. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> Right, you know, but like right now, like it's like I have really settled into the hashkafa that works for me, works for my family, that I really feel is helping me lead like the an authentic life of a Vodas Hashem. You know, this is the hashkafa that I'm supposed to be. Yeah. I, I just couldn't see it, you know, back in the day. Rifki, listen, I, I really can relate to this. I wonder how many people, you know, sort of have a certain dream for how their lives are going to turn out religiously and how their children are going to turn out religiously and how they're going to raise their children, um, <laughs> yeah. you know, day by day, month by month, year by year, things evolve, you evolve, your children evolve. And like, before, you know, you turn around and be like, wait a minute, we're doing X, Y, Z. Where before I'd be like, no, we would never, my children would never. <laughs> exactly. And, and I, I always remind myself, like every decision that we made was a conscious decision. It's not in a vacuum and, and have confidence that we made those decisions with the right frame of mind, with the right intentions. And then before you know it, you know, you land where you land, yeah, but exactly. it wasn't an accident. It wasn't right. an accident. Exactly. It was just a, sub, a series of steps that like 15 years later, you can be like, oh, well, here I am. Um, so Alex, what would you say? How would you answer these questions? Yeah. So when we got married, my husband was um, in Kolo 
And listen, I, I, I know this Colal to working story is a, is, is a story that many women have experienced. There's been a lot written about it recently. And it, for me, it wasn't that um, I didn't want my husband to be working. For me, it was just a question of, you know, what he was doing next. And his initial plan was something in Clay Kodash. The next step from Kola, we were thinking like community Kola. Mm-hmm. And he even actually took, I was teaching at the time, um, yeah. and he took a substitute position at a school, uh, at the school that I was teaching. And it was cute. Like for oh, that, that moment, cute. it was like my dream in life. We were like the two teachers in the same school. You know, I had really made it. <laughs> But guess what? It wasn't for him. He didn't do bad. It just, it wasn't for him. And he decided that he uh, needed to do something else. And we had to figure out what that was. And he landed on medical school. Oh, wow. And that's a huge jump. That is a very, a very long process also. Very long process. So here I was, colo wife supporting him. And I'm going to be like medical school wife. And by the way, this is a whole nother huge story. You know, we're not going to get into the details, but I never felt resentment. I never felt... I really didn't go through a period of disappointment. I went through a period of up, you know, now I'm, I'm the cheerleader again, Mm -hmm. you know, just Mm -hmm. another, another color, not, not, another color pom-poms. Right. Exactly. (laughs) What I would tell my teenage self, if I had, if I knew that this would help, how, you know, the trajectory of my life, it would be not to try to control the situation by doing all the math and figuring Mm -hmm. out, oh, well, this isn't going to add up how in the world are we going to, how in the world am I going to support my husband for, you know, four years of medical school and then residency? And it's never going to happen. It's never going to work. So we're not going to do it. I remember even looking, um, at, at a book that I'd taken out the library before my husband even got into medical school, looking at the the percentages of how many applicants actually get it. The it's, (laughs) I can't remember the statistics. It is not high. And I remember thinking like, what, are we crazy? <laughs> like, what is he even thinking? Like, he's even going to get in, you know? Like, right. what's our plan B? Right. But had I been too focused on what's plan B? What's plan B? And, oh, the odds of this are, you know, that's never going to happen. I would have, I would have cut the whole, I would have canceled the whole thing. Right. So it's being more flexible and being like, I don't know how this is going to work out. We have to do this. This is the next step. We're going to make it work. And we did. And we made it work. It's like a, a Muna and Batakon kind of story. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's like... Not good. Yeah. Just got it to your best. Cause I yeah. always said there was no plan B. Like we did yeah. not have a plan B. He was going to medical school, sink or swim. Yeah. So, <laughs> I'm glad you swam. Yes. <laughs> so I want to talk talkless here. Um, what works for you? How do you accept and move on and be okay with how things are? Like you said that you didn't have like that feeling of like disappointment or that, that grieving period yeah. when you, you trick, when you switch tacks. So like, how did you do that? Like, how did, <laughs> how are you okay with it? And you're just like, I've just got different pom-poms now. Like, <laughs> do you know how you manage that? Yeah. Um, it, it's great to look back in hindsight. I think it's a lot easier. <laughs> For sure. Um, yeah. Part of it is sort of like what I said, like, do not overthink. Mm-hmm. Just do. Just be there. Just respond to what is required of you. And in that situation, as I said, if I had overthought and overanalyzed and tried to add up the numbers, it really wouldn't have worked out. And so instead of overthinking, it was just, what is Hashem asking of me now? Hashem is asking of me is that we're now switching plans. You know, again, some things need to be mourned and there needs to be a period of grief and mourning, um, you know, in any situation where something doesn't turn out as you want it. And that is healthy. But once you go through that, it's like, okay, 
action. Let's make this happen. Okay, so Rifki, tell me how you came to a place more of acceptance of where you landed, how your family landed, what reality is for you now. Hmm. So um, first, I like to stay in denial for a good long while. Like I I always find (laughs) that to be super healthy. No, I'm just kidding. Seriously, I think whenever I was feeling frustrated or disappointed, similar to what you were saying, like that this is this is the life Hashem chose for me. You know what I mean? Like if Hashem had wanted to put me in like a different circumstance, then like he would have. If Hashem had really wanted me to meet my Besheret and Eretz as well, like that's where I would have met him, you know? But like, there's like two main things that I do now, as far as like, how did I deal with it back then? I just, I don't even know if I can say how I dealt with it back then, to be honest. Like, Because <laughs> we may not have dealt with it so well. BD, in hindsight, it's like all right. rosy, you know? Right, right, exactly. Um, like I realized at some point when I was, I was trying to emulate these families who were Makar of me, who I have a lot of Hakar Satov to, that they introduced me to Judaism. They let me in their house, like all of this stuff. At a certain point, I realized that the life that I needed to live was not the same as the life that they led. I had to kind of like reassess and say like, I, I, there's a lot that I value. There's a lot that I still take um, from what I learned over those years when I was becoming from. And because like every, you know, whatever, every Jew has their own avodah Hashem. So like I real, I had to like, kind of like, you know how teenagers like individuate from their parents. I had to individuate from the families that were makar of me. Okay. So that's very long. Blah, blah, blah. There's two things that I do use now in my life. One thing is something that my therapist told me a few years ago, which was basically like, can you control it? If you cannot control it, you should not be worrying about it. You should not be investing like emotional energy into it if you cannot control it. And um, if I can't control it, then I have to let it go. I have to like feel my feelings about it. I have to like, you know, sit with it for a minute, but then I have to move on and say, I can't control the situation, but I can control how I react to the situation. I can control how I deal with the situation. And so to focus my energies on more what what is within my, you know, hishtabless box and, and not like the things that are completely out of my control. Fine. And then the other thing I said, which is like, just remembering that this is the life Hashem chose for me and that whatever challenge or disappointment I'm facing is something that is supposed to be happening in my life. And even though I may never know the plan, it is part of an overarching plan. I find that that is very comforting when I'm going through something that um, I don't necessarily want to be going through in my life. <laughs> hmm um, yeah, so just another idea that I wanted to share. Again, we're talking about our episode is being content with the life you have. I've been learning uh, recently a bit about this idea of scarcity. I heard this idea from um, Rifki Gardner here in Cleveland. She's a marriage coach. She introduced yeah. me to this concept. I love Rifki. And scarcity is actually a mindset that we want to try to avoid. It's this feeling that either you don't have enough or you aren't enough. So it can be a physical thing, physical scarcity, but also could be an emotional or mental scarcity. Mm -hmm. So, you know, today we're talking about the opposite, which is contentedness. How do we actually achieve that? B'nai Brown, here we go. Quote, if the opposite of scarcity is enough, then practicing gratitude is how we acknowledge that there's enough and we're enough. A beautiful. Yep. So we're going to go back, of course, to this idea of gratitude, I think is is one of the keys and feeling content with how our life has turned out, even mm-hmm. if it hasn't followed the script, even mm-hmm. if we have certain dreams that have not been realized or actualized for ourselves, for our children, for our spouses, for our family members. Practicing gratitude is how we acknowledge that we have enough. And um, focusing on this scarcity in our life actually robs the joy. You mentioned that earlier, Rifki. Mm-hmm. So this is all about joy. It's about reclaiming the joy in our lives. 
and looking for those moments. And Benet Brown talks about um, three lessons that she learns about joy, not from perpetually happy people, but from people who experience profound loss. Isn't that interesting? Wow, that is deeply fascinating. Yeah, what this reminds me of is, um, you know how like when, you know, whenever someone gets engaged as a simcha and we're, we're excited, but when someone's been waiting a very, very long time to find their shirt, the level of simcha that we feel for them when they do find their mm. shirt is deeper, you know? So here are her three lessons, and I think they very much can apply to all of us as we really try to reach a level of acceptance and find the joy in our life, even if we do find there are parts of our life that may be disappointing or dissatisfying. So number one, and all three of these are from her book, Daring Greatly, quote, joy comes to us in moments, ordinary moments. We risk missing out on joy when we get too busy chasing down the extraordinary. And yeah, I think for a lot of us who are, you know, high achievers, it's, we're chasing for the extraordinary and we missed out on those small moments of, of, of joy. I'm thinking like with our children or noticing those moments that make us feel joyful or having that cup of coffee that makes me feel joyful. If we're just always like running to the next thing, the joy is actually in those ordinary moments. That's amazing. I love that. So yes. And number two is her point on gratitude. And we hear it a lot. We really hear it a lot. Sometimes we could just zone out because we feel maybe like cliche, but you know, there, she quotes the research about how it actually is transformative. It's not just a nice idea. It actually makes people happier. So, um, she says to be grateful for what you have. Don't take what you have for granted. Celebrate it. Don't apologize for what you have. So often people give us a compliment and we don't say thank you. We're ju- we just deny it or we minimize it or we right. dismiss it. Right. It's Absolutely. okay. Own it. We're not egocentric and egotistical if we do. And be grateful for that and share that gratitude with others. I, I think that's means. What helpful. does she mean to share the gratitude with others? Mm. So she talks about if you're grateful for a family member, okay, mm. you're grateful for your parents, don't just keep that gratitude to yourself. Share it with them. Call That's them. Beautiful. Do something for them. Is that nice? That is very nice. And finally, um, don't squander joy. Mm. This is what she means. So every time we allow ourselves to lean into joy and give into those joyful moments, we build resilience and cultivate hope. The joy becomes part of who we are. And when bad things happen, we're stronger. So I'm trying to think of an example of how we squander joy, joy and we don't allow ourselves to lean into it and we don't give into those moments. Like why would a person not want to feel joyous during a moment that is coming to them that they should feel joyous about? Well, what about like if you have a child who's struggling, for instance, and you're so focused on like, <laughs> just hypothetically. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, like, and you're focusing so much on like helping and this and this you know, trying to get this asset and this resource and following up on this lead and doing this. And then you might be so focused on like all of these extraneous things that you forget to like enjoy the child for all of the things that are going mm. right and to really enjoy like the quirky sense of humor or like the mm-hmm. moments because you're so focused on all of the things that you're trying to help. Right. So that's squandering joy. Yeah. I think these are some useful tools. Um, and we're going to talk more about this later on in our takeaway, how we can focus on being content and happier with how things are. So Alex and I sat down to schmooze with Esther Kurtz to talk about an idea she once brought up to me, and that's the idea of Jewish privilege. And yes, it does relate to how we can all be more satisfied with our lives and also more sensitive to others. So we don't want to give any more away. So just take a listen to our conversation. 
So Esther, we had like this really fun back and forth over WhatsApp through voice notes a while back about like the concept of Jewish privilege and the things that, you know, we sometimes take for granted that we have in life that maybe other people don't have and how like sometimes you don't even realize what is kind of like your privilege that maybe someone else doesn't have because you're so, it's so part of your, the wallpaper in your life. Like you don't even realize that it's something special that someone else wishes they had. Remember that conversation? Right. Yes, for yeah. sure. Uh, I was, I was trying to like, remember why I was even thinking about um, Jewish privilege in the first place that I brought it up to you. Yeah. And I think what happened was by, if my memory serves me best, is that I was reading an article and I mentioned in passing that, you know, oh, did your mother-in-law buy or did your mother buy you a bugaboo when you gave birth? And I'm thinking like, wait, was I supposed to get that? Is that normal? Is that standard? Like, because yes. on one hand, I want one. On the other hand, that's a little ridiculous because that's a thousand bucks right there. And I was kind of thinking like, I was wondering, is that a standard? And then it kind of got me the idea of like, what are other standards, quote unquote standards out there that people are in some ways... I wouldn't say think they're entitled to, but kind of it comes with the expectation of this is what from life is. And that if you just take a step out of your Dalad Anos, you realize that, no, there are so many other ways to live your life and that not just to live your life, but other people don't have the opportunity to have the things that you think you're supposed to have. Things like connections and yichas. And what do you say the word like yichas in terms of like having some whole noble lineage, but just... um, Jewish networking and connections, I don't think we realize um, how interconnected we are in the world. Absolutely. I was like, thinking I, no, go ahead. What were you going to say? No, I was thinking that I grew up in, I grew up in, in Borough Park. I went to all like the Brooklyn institutions. So I end up just knowing a lot of people. And even though I'm an avowed introvert, I know an insane amount of people just, and it, it helps me in different areas of life where I can just reach out and be like, I went to high school with her. I went to seminary with her. I went to camp with her. You know, my father knows her, my brother knows her. And that opens up certain avenues for me that I, uh, people living out of town or people who, you know, who are Bali Chubas, like I look at the difference between like my family networks versus my husband's family networks. My, fa- my husband's parents are both Bali Chubas. So their networks are so much smaller in just, right. you know, their families and their, and their roots. And just a small concept, you know, concept of privilege like that. I was talking to a friend of mine about the same idea of Jewish privilege. And she was like, Esther, you have the privilege of being weird. I was like, what does that mean? She's like, you come from like Brooklyn, your family from both sides. You're a very normal, established old bar park family. Um, You people know your parents. You're, 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 You're considered within the community. So if you go and do something weird, quirky, and interesting, you can totally get away with it. Be like, oh, that's the Goldstein's daughter. Like, yeah, she's fun. She's interesting. Versus someone who doesn't have as solid of a background as you might be looked at as they're weird. Do I trust them? They're odd. They're strange. And it was, it was a little surprising for me to think of myself. Like, I have the privilege to be weird. I should embrace my weirdness and maybe capitalize on it more. But there's something to that, which is kind of sad that people won't necessarily have the opportunity to be as weird as they can be or they should be or themselves because they will be judged for it. Hmm. I I think it's a, it's a fascinating concept and I like to flesh out the concepts a little bit more um, just to give our listeners like more proofs Mm -hmm. of in our everyday life and our society, you know, maybe whether it's, I'm thinking through engagement, through marriage, 
what are some other tangible examples of, of, and this is your concept, I think, I don't know, I've never seen this before, this idea of from privilege or Jewish privilege. What, what would, can you give me like a couple more examples of so, what from privilege looks, right, like, so from privilege what, looks like, like? So you mentioned engagements, like think of the expectations that people think of what, what does a, a wedding look like, right? What does engagement get, gifts look like? A right. lot of that, are you getting that watch, are you getting shots? Yeah. Right, exactly. right. Um, are you getting, uh, right, like you said, a watch? Are you getting Mahzorim? Are you getting... Lechter, yeah. Are you getting a shaitel? Are you not? You know, all these kind of, you know, different different gifts, the expectations. What is your, your, your Shana Rishona? We're not a Shana Rishona. What is your first apartment going to be outfitted? Like, how is it going to be? What is it going to look like? You know, what are the standard expectations of your couch, your dining room set? You know, the days of having uh, an iron perched on top of two chairs as a table, like <laughs> <laughs> those are those are old time stories. And sometimes it's almost sad that those are old time stories. There's something to starting out with with just the two of you. But the standard of this is and in some ways it's beautiful how people have so much abundance in their life. But when it shifts to the expectation of like when you're when you're expecting and you're giving birth of like the gifts that your sp- that your that your spouse would give you or things that um, like oh your mother your mother in law are going to come move into you like people will say this in conversation yeah. like oh so your mother mother's going to come help you no no she works full time she works full time how is she doing that right exactly you know even some even something simple like that or or you know like even something simple as um, a lot of people within the from community, we, we, our families live together in the same, in the same community. And so there's expectation of, you can always just fall back on your sister, on your mother to come babysit in the pinch or something like that. I'm living in, right. I'm living in Passaic. And so there are people who have that privilege where their families live there. And there's people, you know, like me who I have no siblings nearby. And it's such a struggle that a lot of people don't realize. And that I ended up talking with two women at, uh, at Amalfa Malka about this idea of, you know, you know, bemoaning myself. And they're like, oh, we're in the same boat. I was like, so why doesn't anyone talk about this? Why do we read everywhere that everyone seems to have their mother at their beck and call or their sister? And like, some of us are so isolated alone. We need to support each other. And I think when you're in smaller Jewish communities, there's that awareness that you're alone. Like when I lived in South Bend, Indiana, like most people didn't have family there. So therefore the community very much, you know, stepped up their game. But when you're in some place that's a larger community, they assume that you have someone. That's an idea of, of, of Jewish privilege because it's so common for people to have people, their support system that they don't realize. It's so easy to look at someone like uh, Balas Chuvas or Gieras and recognize that like Yantif is going to be hard because they very likely don't have family or extend the family to spend time with or something like that. It's easy to point at Jewish privilege like that. And, but even then, I think that's almost a sense of othering mm. where it's like, oh, it's those people. No, no, we all have Jewish privilege in our own different ways. And even something simple as I don't have any family in my community to back me up and we need to support each other or watch the language that we use to just assume that people are going to have the support. Mm. Wow. I mean, you've, you've given some phenomenal examples. I, I'm, I'm thinking of more examples in my mind, but honestly, the overarching thought that I'm having right now, Esther, as I'm listening to you is, you know, we talk about this term privilege, obviously it's a hot topic Yeah. in terms it's of a, how... It's a scary word to use. Yeah, it is a scary <laughs> word. And we've taught, we, Rescue and I discussed, like, do we really want to talk of, you know, use that term and borrow it or whatever we want, whatever you yeah. want to say. But obviously the term privilege really is from the perspective of people from one culture 
or one race viewing another culture, you know, or another race. So it's sort of that bird's eye view of, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm not, I, I, you know, I think you have privilege, you are from a different community. You are from a different culture. That's how, how, what I believe one of the aspects of what you know, privilege is. But what you're saying, Esther, is no, we're talking about within the community, within right. our, our network, there's, there's privilege. No, I was thinking like, you know, Esther, when you were talking about, um, you know, making assumptions about who's going to have privilege and who's not going to have privilege and like how, you know, it's will be hard for this set, but maybe not, not think about this other set. I was thinking about how, like, why that makes it like that makes this a topic that is really worth discussing in the sense of like, we should be aware of it. And, to not just say like, well, I'm going to send my daughter to do chesed by X family because I know X family is going to need it, but to be aware that maybe Y family needs it too, even though you know, to just like be aware of that, the needs, ugh, I'm not even saying it right, but you know what I mean? But to be aware that like, we don't always know who needs what. More than just having an awareness of like, you know, other people have different needs, but I think, you know, shifting from privilege, you know, there's always going to be the haves and the have nots, mm. right? And I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing, but recognizing that you have something that someone doesn't, that someone doesn't have also doesn't immediately translate into privilege. It depends on your attitude. Like mm. you're saying, um, Alex, like the concept of you you deserve it. You're entitled to it. Do you recognize that what you have, is it, um, is it a bracha? Is it a blessing that's in your life? And you recognize the abundance and where it comes from, or is it a privilege that you're entitled to it? And it's come I'm supposed to have it. And because I really think that in some ways you could very easily look at something that's a privilege and say, but isn't that just a bracha? And Mm. yes, it is, but it's really just a mindset attitude because when you look at it as a bracha, that's when you're recognizing it comes from somewhere. It's coming. It's a blessing from Hashem. I'm being, it's being bestowed upon me and I value it and it can be taken away from me. And it's something precious that I have versus if it's a privilege and I'm entitled to it, I'm supposed to have it. That means just by my being, you know, it comes directly from me and it has, that's where it comes that ich feeling of privilege Mm -hmm. because in some ways blessing and privilege can be the same thing. It's really just a mindset attitude of being, because there's nothing wrong with having a beautiful Sheva Brachas outfit. There's nothing wrong really. If you have the money and you like pretty things, then go ahead, get, blow out your budget on it. Go ahead. (laughs) I have no problem with people spending all their money. If they have, if like, you know, if you have the money and you're not blowing, you know, if you're not spending more than you have, I don't mind people going into luxury, but the question, the attitude is, you know, do you realize what you have? Do you realize it's a bracha? Do you realize it's a blessing? Or do you think that like, of course I have it. Of course I'm going to go vacation, blah, 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 wherever it is, because that's just who I am. And And I think that's really where the line is. I feel like this is like an amazing, amazing point. And I think that that's something that can really help. Let's say you live in town with your your mother or your mother-in-law or some family member who could be a caregiver. If you recognize that it's a bracha, if you have a family member who can be a caregiver, who can provide that kind of childcare in a pinch or on a regular basis or whatever, as opposed to feeling like you deserve it. If you deserve it and then they're not able to do it, so then that comes resentment, then comes bitterness, then comes a strain in the mm-hmm. relationship. As opposed to if it's just a bracha, then you could just be grateful and have a karasatov when they can do it, but accept that it is not a given and it is not something that you are owed or that you are due. I, I love the way right. that you put that. Mm-hmm. Right. It also shifts your perspective on people who don't have. It's not that they don't have and they're less than. Mm-hmm. It's just that you happen to have been given something that, should, that, 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 was, that was for you. And maybe they'll be given it at a different point or maybe they don't need it. You know, I was reading this fascinating book um, called Stretch by um, Steve Sunshine. And he talks about the ideas of people being chasers versus stretchers. Chasers are people who are always looking for additional resources in their life. 
you know, they always need more clothing, more money, more status to, to fulfill their, to be successful or to feel good about themselves. And stretchers are people who take whatever limited resources that they have and make more of it. And it's more than just being Sameach Bechalko. He kind of talks about how to be Sameach Bechalko, how to be creative with the things that you have, with the limitations you can really, really find so much more. Sometimes we think like, if I had an unlimited budget, I would have the most fabulous wardrobe. I don't know how many times I've told that to myself. And <laughs> when do I really find my most awesome outfits is when I'm desperate and I look into my closet and say, what can I do with what I actually have? That's when I come up with some interesting twists that I hadn't considered before. You know, it's really limitations that very often give us our most creativity and our most value. And I don't think that we, we appreciate that concept so much that sometimes we think things as like, oh, it's such a bracha, they have such abundance or whatever it is. And we look jealous, you know, with a certain amount of envy with people. But really, you know, having that idea of stretching what we actually have can really turn our limited resources into an actual bracha and into an actual privilege itself. So I think that's really the answer to those of us who are asking, like, I wasn't born into it. You know, I don't have X, Y, Z. I don't have the privilege that I see so many other people have. Um, you know, how, how, would, how would you, what's the mindset that we need so that those of us don't feel like we're at a disadvantage? Right. So I think, you know, for some people, the, the, the lack of privilege is, is a significant detriment to their life. You know, you can look at some people and you can say like, yes, certain because they're lacking certain things, it will make a difference. And you can't just poo-poo it away with mindset. Mm -hmm. But at the right. same time, I think for a lot of us, you know, for those people, you know, I think that we are, you know, as a community, as, as, as human beings, we can come together and we can support people and recognize and, and give to people when, when they're in need and give them what they don't have. Mm. But for a lot of people, a lot of it is about mindset shift about realizing that you, yes, some people are going to have and some people aren't going to have, but recognize what you actually do have. The research on gratitude is fascinating and real and just taking, recognizing and taking stock of what you have, you realize how much more you have and how much, you know, you can do with it. And a mindset shift is, is the older I get, and I make myself sound like I'm ancient, but <laughs> I'm realizing that mindset is everything in life. Yes. And, it's, yes. and, and, it's, in some ways, it's frustrating to think that, like, it's all in my head. But it really, a lot of it is all in our head. Beautiful. So, what, you know, we're talking about Jewish privilege, like it's a thing. And maybe some people are listening and they're saying, ah, yeah, not really. Or, yeah, totally. <laughs> why, why is it important for us to all be aware of this concept of Jewish privilege? Because whether you agree if it exists or not, it does. You know, mm. it's, it's out there. And whether you call it by a different name, that's fine. Call it something else. But I think um, as Jewish people, we're always sensitive to the other person. We're always, think of all the minutia, all of health, lush, and hara, mm -hmm. right? There's so many things of being sensitive for another person and how it can possibly maybe affect the other person. If you can take an iota of that and shift to the idea of being sensitive to what other person has or doesn't have and how you can treat them and how you can understand and, and walk within the world, with kindness and sensitivity, it doesn't just affect you as a person, it affects the, the world at large. And it makes a difference for you to acknowledge these ideas. Mm. And, even if, and even, like, even if you don't necessarily start righting the wrongs of the world, you, I'm not telling you to go out and be a crusader, but sometimes just you even recognizing that within yourself will shift the way you walk within the world and that will mm -hmm. enact change, you know, in kind of that cascading concept. 
Okay. So you have to help me out because I just have this image of like this snobby rich girl who like has everything. And then she looks <laughs> down at like the girls who don't have anything or can't spend as much as they want when they go to the mall. And they're like, and she's like, oh, I feel so bad for them, but I'm so lucky. I'm so blessed. But like, let me like help them. Like they're my chesed case. Let me like do good for them, you know? And, like, the girl with the Jewish privilege who like sees everyone who has less than her as a chesed case. Like how do we avoid that? Like I said, everyone has their own version of privilege. So number one, I think we need to recognize our own privilege in our life or realize that, recognize our own brachos and blessing in our life. So, and the second you start othering someone and thinking, oh, woe is you, woe is them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How do you got it wrong, you know? They got something going on that you don't have. And, you know, you're not out, none of us are out there to save the world. I think we're out there to save ourselves. Take care of yourself. <laughs> save yourself, okay? Um, yeah. So the second, the second you start getting on your high horse and you're going to help people, help yourself first. I think a lot of, you know, chesed begins at home, chesed begins within yourself. And the second you start, like, feeling bad for other people, take care of your own mess first. I think that's where a lot of that, you know, I'll take care of you and... You know, that attitude comes from you not recognizing the own work you need, the, the work you need to do within yourself. Because we all have our own little peklach, we have our own packages, we have our own brachos and blessings. We're all our own entities and individual worlds. Worry about yourself. Don't try mm-hmm. to fix the other person. Yes. And being mindful of and sensitive is exactly the first step. It's being mindful and sensitive, first of all, to acknowledge that, wait a minute, the fact that I have, you know, family that is providing X, Y, Z to me and I just take it for granted. I can't take it for granted. I have to acknowledge that, that, that there are many, many people in the community that do not have, does, do not exist and do not live the way I live in whatever way it is. So it's first acknowledging that. Then I think, like you said before, it's the gratitude of like feeling really blessed. Personal work, no one should know it, but really working on feeling grateful for these blessings in our life. And then just, shifting through that. I think that that's where the shift, that's where the mindset work comes is you're shifting from this attitude of entitlement to an attitude of gratitude. If you're really feeling a need to like help people because you've reached that point where you're like, wow, I've have, I have so much that I want to give to others, you know, which I think a lot of people can come to that place. It will come to that place. I think that's when people have to start like opening up their eyes and paying attention because people will kind of whether they mean to or not, they'll inadvertently drop hints about things that are going on in their life and what they have and they don't have. Yeah. In those cases, like, you know, like, oh, yes, like offer an invitation for a meal for Shabbos because like, oh, they happen to mention that, you know, they, they didn't eat out in a while because of COVID or something like that. Um, you pay attention, you'll realize small openings that you can, that you can take advantage of. And you don't have to create the opening. You don't have to start initiatives and you don't have to start, you know, giving away your money because I want to give to whoever it is. Um, but even like, if you look through your community Facebook group, you know, a lot of communities have that. I know, um, Pisaic has a lot of like, they have their community Facebook group and they have their Google groups and stuff like that, where you see people will ask questions and about whatever topic they're looking for resources on some sort of doctor and you happen to know a cousin who does this similar thing just offer that resource something Mm -hmm. like that Mm -hmm. there are so many opportunities for you to pass things along if you just open up your eyes to it without becoming across as that annoying i don't know why like lady catherine de berg from pride and prejudice keeps topping (laughs) up like she thinks she's the most benevolent person but she's really awful yeah so that kind of idea, like if you open your eyes, there are so many opportunities for you to very subtly um, slip in and share and kind of like share the wealth. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and it's, 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 it's that question of like, are you doing a chesed because you want to do a chesed or are you going to do a chesed that is actually going to help someone? You know? Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hey, well, Esther, thank you. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. My this pleasure. is such a treat. You know, I've thank read you. all your stuff in Mishpacha and yes. I just think this is so cute. Like the three of us contributors know this episode was not sponsored by Mishpacha. <laughs> Now it's time for today's takeaway. Our goal is to cultivate more joy and more feelings of content in our lives. So how do we do it? Choose one of Brene Brown's suggestions to feel more joy. They are, one, find the joy in the ordinary moments of your life. Two, practice gratitude and don't take what you have for granted. And three, don't squander joy. Really feel it. It will strengthen you for when times are tough. Now it's time for our five questions with a normal firm woman. This episode, we hear from Efrat Grunin from Yerushalayim. Can you fall asleep with the dishes in your sink? Of course. Dishes can wait. Although I prefer a clean sink, don't we all? And to go to bed without worrying, sometimes other things in my life take priority. I don't have a dishwasher, so it requires my input. I don't feel guilty about not having done dishes as opposed to other things that are a necessity. What's your favorite mitzvah and why? Probably Shabbos, including all the mitzvahs more geared to women, like challah or Shabbos candles. Taking the time to just spend with my family, spending time listening to their words of Torah at a Shabbos meal, and cutting out distraction and technology for 25 hours at least is worth so much in today's hectic world. There's also joy in community, shul, shirim, and hosting guests. What do you do to recharge? To recharge, I usually need to carve out actual time for myself, which is always easier said than done. Lately, it's been gardening, even in pots, because it gives me both sunshine and joy later when I see my flowers blooming. Even just taking a cup of coffee at sunrise in my garden for some minutes of peace can be very relaxing. Other options include exercise, spending time in nature, and reading interesting things of all sorts. What part of your personality do you love? Curiosity and willingness to learn. I love learning new things, hearing a new viewpoint, and finding new things to discover and wonder about. What do you think the firm world needs more of? More willingness to be accepting of difference, of the other, whether it be our neighbor who dresses differently than we do, or is on a different religious level, or the slightly out-of-a-box shidduch suggestion. The ability to see nuance and accept more of our brethren will go a long way towards bringing Mashiach, especially if he's delayed because he can't decide what hat to wear. Many thanks for all the wonderful reviews, PMs, DMs, text messages, emails, and words of support from our listeners. Baruch Hashem, we have hit the 5,000 download mark. Rifki and I are so grateful to each of you for listening and hopefully enjoying what we're putting out. We do love to hear from our listeners. Feel free to send us an email at normalfromwomen at gmail.com. And you can always find us on Facebook and Instagram. If you haven't liked and followed our social media pages, give it a try and you'll see what we have some extra content in store for you. And don't forget to check out our show notes for relevant links and info about each each episode. Oh, and if you're still listening, thanks. See you next episode.